Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It's time for Lombardi Memories, a show that takes you back in time, into January or February, to the greatest one-day spectacle in all of sports. This is the Every Other Tuesday podcast that looks back at each and every one of the 50-plus Super Bowls and tells the story of who won and why. For the fan who needs more than a box score, this podcast goes drive-by-drive, play-by-play, through the most dramatic games in history. I'm your host, Tommy A. Phillips, and today we have Super Bowl Four, the fourth and final AFL-NFL World Championship game between the AFL champion Kansas City Chiefs and the NFL champion Minnesota Vikings. This game was held on January 11th. 1970 at Tulane Stadium in New Orleans. It was the final game before the AFL-NFL merger that came with the 1970 season. As always, we have a pop quiz and then homework at the end of the episode. The pop quiz question for today is, who was the play-by-play announcer of this Super Bowl for CBS, who never called another Super Bowl on television, but called a bunch more on radio. The answer will come at the end of the podcast. The NFL champion Kansas City Chiefs are unique because they were actually a second place team in their own division, making them the first second place team to make a Super Bowl. But don't call them a wild card. The difference between a wild card and what the AFL had here is that the first and second place teams in its each of its two divisions automatically made the playoffs, whereas a wild card system would have sent the top two non-first place teams without regard to divisions. So here's how it worked: Oakland Raiders won the AFL West at 12-1 and 1. New York Jets won the AFL East at 10 and 4. The Chiefs were the second place team in the AFL West, so they automatically made the playoffs at 11-3. The Houston Oilers were the second place team in the AFL East. Not sure why they're in the East if they're in Houston, but they're in the East, and they automatically got in despite only a 6-6-2 record. 
if this had been a wild card format, a third place team in the AFL West, the San Diego Chargers, would have gotten into the playoffs over the Oilers, since the Chargers finished at eight and six, better than the six and six and two, six six and two record of the Oilers. But instead, the Oilers got in because of the format. That means that the Chiefs are not the first wild card team to reach the Super Bowl. They're not considered a wild card. The playoff format in the AFL was also convoluted because of cross division. Instead of playing a game between the teams in your own division, you played the team in the other division. So the first place East Jets played the second place West Chiefs. Likewise, the first place West Raiders played the second place East Oilers. When the Chiefs beat the Jets 13-6 and the Raiders beat the Oilers 56-7, that set up an all-West AFL championship game. The Chiefs then beat the Raiders 17-7 in the AFL championship game to advance to the fourth AFL-NFL World Championship game, the Super Bowl. Minnesota Vikings, meanwhile, were very much like the Baltimore Colts a year ago. They were absolutely dominant in the NFL, holding the best record in the league. The only games they lost were their first game to the Giants by a mere one point, and the last game this season to Atlanta, which was meaningless because they had already clinched the best record in the league at 12-2. The Vikings then defeated the Rams 23-20 in the Western Conference Championship game, and then they defeated the Browns 27-7 in the NFL Championship game to reach the Super Bowl. Since the Vikings were a first-place team and the Chiefs were a second-place team, it was only natural that the Vikings were installed as favorites for the Super Bowl. But the spread was ridiculous. The Vikings were 13-point favorites, since the media still believed the NFL was so much better than the AFL and that the Jets' victory last year had just been a fluke. Yet again, the AFL champions came into the Super Bowl with a ton of extra motivation. The Vikings won the coin toss and chose to receive. John Stenrode, for the Chiefs, kicked it for a touchback. Minnesota running back Dave Osborne took the first carry for three yards. Then he hauled in quarterback Joe Capp's first pass for ten yards. Two plays later... Cap fired to tight end John Beasley for a first down at the Kansas City 39. However, the Vikings could only gain one yard from there. They could have tried a long field goal since the goalposts were still on the goal line at that time, but instead they chose the punt. Punter Bob Lee kicked it out of bounds at the Kansas City 17. Running back Robert Holmes carried it three yards on Kansas City's first play. Quarterback Len Dawson passed to running back Mike Garrett, and he got a first down at the 36. Facing third down a few plays later, Dawson fired the receiver Frank Pitts to get a first down at the Minnesota 45. Garrett took a carry, and he got to the Vikings 40. Chiefs were stopped on third down when Vikes defensive end Jim Marshall knocked down a pass. 
Kansas City head coach Hank Stram then sent out Stenerud to try a 48-yard field goal, which would be the longest in Super Bowl history at the time, and he made it, and the Chiefs went up 3 to nothing. The Vikings went 3 and out after Chiefs defensive linemen Jerry Mays and Curly Culp converged on a sack of cap. The Chiefs got called for roughing the kicker on the punt, so Minnesota kept the ball anyway. But that was okay, because the Chiefs defense forced another three and out. The Vikings had to punt again. This punt went into the end zone for a touchback. Dawson threw the pits on first down for 20 yards, then he hit Otis Taylor for nine more. Garrett took the ball across the midfield strike for a first down, and then he got to the 43 yards on it, or excuse me, he got to the 43 on his next carry. Team switch sides for the second quarter, and then Vikings defensive back Ed Srockman got called for pass interference. So that was a first down for the Chiefs. They got a they got all the way down to the 24, and that was as far as they went. So they settled for a 32-yard Stinnerud field goal and went up 6-0. On Minnesota's second play of their next drive, receiver John Henderson caught a pass and immediately fumbled. Chiefs defensive back Johnny Robinson recovered the ball. The Chiefs had it in good field position, but... They turned it over only two plays later because quarterback Len Dawson threw an interception to defensive back Paul Krause at the Minnesota 7. But the Vikings were backed up big time. They had to go a long way to score, and they didn't go anywhere. They went three and out. And then um, Lee's punt went to uh, Garrett, and he caught it at the Minnesota 44-yard line. So the Chiefs had great field position. Starting there, Pitts took an end around for a first down to the 25. Hayes then cut, carried it a couple more times and got it closer, but the Chiefs couldn't get another first down. It was okay, though, because Stenerud made a 24-yard field goal this time, and the Chiefs went up 9-0. On the ensuing kickoff, Charlie West for the Vikings muffed the return, and Chiefs fell on top of it inside the 20-yard line. Although Marshall made a tackle Dawson for a loss of 7 yards, the Chiefs quickly recovered from that. Hayes took it to the 15, then Dawson found Taylor for a first down at the 5. Otis Taylor made that catch at the 5-yard line, and that set up Garrett, who ran the ball up the middle for a five-yard touchdown. Stenerud made the extra point, and the Chiefs were now up 16 to nothing. West tried to make up for fumbling on that last possession by returning the kickoff to the 32-yard line. Cap then found Henderson for a first down at the Kansas City 41. But the Minnesota drive short-circuited when Culp and Buck Buchanan converged on another sack. So now the Vikings tried for a new Super Bowl record in field goal length. They were trying a 56-yard field goal, uh, and the kicker was on his own 
side of the 50-yard line for the first time ever, but kicker Fred Cox's kick came up short. So the Chiefs running back, Warren McVeigh, caught the short kick and returned it to the 23-yard line. McVeigh then carried the ball three times in a row for the Chiefs, and he got a first down after the two-minute warning. Pitch took an end around to the 45 for a first down. The Chiefs got got into Minnesota territory at the 49, so the Chiefs called timeout with only 49 seconds left on the clock. But Dawson's third down pass was nearly intercepted by linebacker Wally Hilgenberg, and the Chiefs were forced to punt. The Vikings then ran out the clock in the first half, and the Chiefs took a 16-0 lead into the line. Chiefs got the ball to start the second half. They began at their own 15-yard line, and McVeigh ran for five yards on first down. Dawson then threw to Taylor and got a first down from there. Garrett then ran for another six yards, and then Dawson threw to him, and he got a first down at the 38. But a failed screen pass and a holding call set back the Chiefs, and they were forced to punt. Minnesota got the ball back at their own 30. The Vikings then put together their only scoring drive of the day. Capped through the Beasley for a first down past the 40. Osborne then ran for the Vikings next first down. Running back Bill Brown ran it to the 36. And then he caught a pass for a first down at the 25. Capped through on the run to Henderson. And he got another first down. Cap would then go to running back Oscar Reed. And he got yet another first down down at the four-yard line. Osborne pounded in from four yards out. And Cox made the extra point. So the Vikings were now down 16-7. to But if there's any doubt whether the Chiefs would hold on to this lead, it was erased on the next drive. All doubt was erased as Garrett started this drive with a four-yard run, and then Hayes ran it for a first down. So now the Chiefs were facing third and long a couple plays later, but Pitts took an end around off right end, and got a first down at the 39-yard line, his own 39. Hilgenberg then got called for a personal foul on a late hit, and the Chiefs got another first down. On the very next play, Dawson fired to Taylor, and Taylor escaped from the tackle where uh, defensive back Ursul McBee was trying to bring him down, but Taylor escaped the tackle, and then he sprinted down the rest of the way, down the right sideline, for a 46-yard touchdown. Chiefs were back up by 16 points after Senerud's extra point made it 23-7. to The rest of the game was a foregone conclusion. All that happened in the fourth quarter was that the Vikings kept turning the ball over to the Chiefs. Capped through an interception to linebacker Willie Lanier, on the next drive, Chiefs were content to simply run the ball and eat up time. They ran the ball three times, then punted it back with 11 and a half minutes left. 
Captain tried throwing a couple of long passes on the next drive, but neither worked. The first one went incomplete to Henderson, and the second one was intercepted by Robinson, Johnny Robinson. The Chiefs followed that by simply handing the ball off three times in a row to McVay, and then punted it again after eating up more clock. On Minnesota's next drive, Cap got sacked by defensive end Aaron Brown and fumbled. His guard, Jim Gallone, recovered the fumble, so the Vikings kept the ball, but Cap got injured on the play, so he had to come out of the game, and he wouldn't come back. Gary Kozo came in to play quarterback for the rest of the game for the Vikings, but he also threw an interception. This one to defensive back Emmett Thomas. The Chiefs then ran out the rest of the clock. And so after having lost Super Bowl one, the Chiefs have bounced back with this victory in Super Bowl four. They were world champions. Len Dawson won the most valuable player award for Super Bowl four. He was the fourth consecutive quarterback to win it for to win the Super Bowl MVP. He completed 12 of 17 passes for 142 yards and one touchdown. He also threw one interception and he ran the ball three times for 11 yards. The numbers really weren't all that impressive and if I were to give out a most valuable player to someone else, I, I would have given it to receiver Otis Taylor. He caught six balls for 81 yards and that 46-yard touchdown, making the biggest play of the day. You could also make an argument that the entire defense deserved the MVP award, but since I can't give it to an entire unit, I'll give it to Taylor. Who is the least valuable player? The player who gets the blame for the loss. That I have to give the Vikings retainer. That award I have to give to Vikings returner Charlie West. He fumbled away a kickoff return with his team down 9-0, and the Chiefs recovered and scored a touchdown several plays later to make it 16-0. After that, there was no coming back from Minnesota. Sorry, Charlie, but I have to give this award to you. Most valuable player for the losing team, who was it? I'm going with linebacker Wally Hilgenberg. He came up with nine tackles for the Vikings and made a couple of other nice plays. He broke up a pass, which he nearly intercepted. Yes, he got called for a late hit, but he had a nice game and a losing effort for Minnesota. The biggest play of the game was obvious, Taylor's 46-yard touchdown catch. He gets tackled right away. Maybe the Chiefs don't pull away like they did. Maybe they settle for a field goal and only go up 19-7. But he broke that tackle attempt by McBee and went all the way for a touchdown. And that made it 23-7. And that turned out the lights on the Vikings. Now what was the biggest play of the game that no one remembers? It came two plays before that one. Because receiver Frank Pitts took an end around on third and long and picked up a first down around right end. It was a real gamble by uh, their head coach, Hank Stram, to call an end around play in that situation. 
If it doesn't work, then the Chiefs have to punt. Instead, he got the first down on the play, setting up Dawson's game-stealing pass to Taylor just two plays later. Who is the best player in, in this game that you've never heard of? How about Chiefs punter Gerald Wilson? He kicked it four times for 194 yards, making it a 48.5-yard punting average. His longest punt went 59 yards. Compare that to his counterpart from Minnesota, Bob Lee, who only averaged 37 yards per punt and whose longest punt only went 50 yards. Wilson played a big role in helping pin down the Vikings. Finally, I'm giving you some homework. Well, before I do that, I got to answer the pop quiz of the day. Because who was the the play-by-play -play announcer of this game who never called another one on television, but he did call Bunsen Radio? That would be Jack Buck. Jack Buck, the father of Joe Buck, and he called Super Bowl four for CBS, and he would later call a bunch of Super Bowls for CBS Radio. This was the only time he did it on television. Now, notably, his his color commentator was Pat Summerall, and of course, Pat Summerall called a whole bunch of Super Bowls as a play-by-play -play announcer over the years. Now, um, in fact, the only reason we have a copy of the Super Bowl four broadcast is because. Canada, uh, the CBC, uh, kept the recorded version of this game in black and white. And the thing was, is that CBS taped over the Super Bowl. They thought no one would ever care to see it again. Well, the CBC uh, kept that broadcast. And because of that, we, we can be thankful to Canada that we can still see a copy of Super Bowl Four. Otherwise, it would have been lost to posterity. Now, I'm going to give you some homework. The book you ought to pick up about Super Bowl Four is the definitive book on this game. It's called 69 Chiefs, A Team, A Season, and the Birth of Modern Kansas City. By Michael McCambridge. It goes game by game through the 1969 Chiefs season and tells you absolutely everything you'd ever want to know about this team, this season, and this game. This is a must have for learning about Super Bowl IV. In two weeks, we will have our next podcast and we will have the first Super Bowl game of the new era of NFL Super Bowl V. The AFL and the NFL have merged and now it's AFC versus NFC. The AFC's Baltimore Colts who failed so miserably in the Super Bowl we talked about last time take on the NFC's Dallas Cowboys nicknamed next year's champions and quite literally. Until then, this is Tommy A. Phillips signing off. So long.
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.